The North Fork A Weekend podcast is brought to you by Sherry Winter Parker of Corcoran. Sherry is the North Fork's top real estate agent and top producer from 2005 through 2021. Hi again, and welcome to another episode of the North Worker Podcast. I am Nicolina Defont. I'm joined today with the full team. It is magazine day. Um, so Tara Smith is in the room, Victoria Caruso is here, and Lee Meyer. Hi, guys. Hello. Hey. Hey, how are you? Good. Um, so the magazine officially came out last week. Um, and although typically we do have a magazine podcast the same week it comes out, we just felt that we had to get everyone some great Halloween content. Now that that is over, um, it feels like the longest Halloween season ever, um, but it's officially gone and it is November um, and this is really exciting. We have a great magazine for everyone. It is our fall home issue. Um, I'm really excited for this magazine. I feel like it just feels so good. We told such fun stories, um, got a really nice inside look. I know that when I was young and maybe even still, I think it's so fun to be able to like get an inside peek at people's homes. So it's so cool to see so many of that, um, so many of those homes in this magazine. Um, we're going to kick it off with a fun one that um, I don't think we'd ever be able to get into if not for Tara's awesome story. Yeah, I got to visit uh, Kevin Shea's geodesic dome house in Baiting Hollow. Uh, it really is an impressive structure, unlike anything I've ever been in, and it's almost otherworldly as you pull up. Uh, you know, it's it's located on Sound Avenue, but set back from the road a little bit, and you'd really never know that it was there. Uh, Kevin Shea built the dome uh, himself with some help from his buddies in the FDNY. He was a New York City firefighter in 9-11, and I think after he was injured uh, at that time, he was going through that and decided to just um, go for this lifelong dream that he, he he told me he had really since he was a teenager uh, to build this dome uh, because it was kind of quirky. It was kind of unique. He was into gymnastics and wanted to be a, a filmmaker. And he just thought it was a, a really cool um, and unique structure. And he, he didn't want to live in, in a regular house. And he certainly uh, made that dream come true. Uh, when I visited, you can tell that it, it really is a labor of love for him. Puts everything he has into this property, uh, both inside and outside. The frame is made up of 624 wooden triangles, which are uh, recycled pine, uh, sustainable, sustainably uh, f- harvested pine, uh, and nearly every material that he used in the house, from the framing to the walls, uh, the floors are either recycled, salvaged, and he, he told me that he'd almost dumpster dive at like construction sites uh, where there would be a lot of excess material, a lot of excess waste from, you know, his granite countertops to appliances that he uh, sourced for the house. Uh, and even outdoors in his garden, he, he really takes going green to the next level. He has a wind turbine that helps power the property, um, a solar array that, uh, you know, helps give him a little bit of power. And even inside, you know, he, he uses the geothermal uh, heating system uh, to heat his floors, which is really cool. Uh, his garden is is really nice. Him and his partner, uh, Versha, are uh, master gardeners through Cornell Cooperative Extension. And they've really created this uh, outdoor oasis from, uh, you know, not just a vegetable garden, but they've planted um, a little orchard with 
uh, a lot of different fruit trees, a lot of interesting fruit trees, pawpaws, hazelnuts, I think, are growing there. Um, but I think my favorite part of his garden was actually um, hundreds of tires that are stacked up against each other um, in tiers. And he grows native plants and succulents. Um, and it's it's really cool. He just kind of like went to a salvage lot and uh, started loading them up. And, and it took a couple years to build. But, uh, you know, now it's, it's just this really cool feature of his garden. Um, the steps leading down to it are from the LIRR. They're actually those rubber mats that you drive over at a railroad crossing that he turned into steps. Uh, it really is so unique. The photos are great. Dave Benthal uh, shot them as always. Um, and it really is just a, a good look inside um, a home that, you know, maybe you'll never get to see <laughs> if it wasn't for, for an issue like this. Yeah, Tara, when you pitch a story, I could have never envisioned it kind of coming to life the way it has. I mean, you told his story so beautifully. It has such a nice, warm feel to it. And it's been so incredible to see how the different components of his home um, were pieced together over the years. And you can tell it's an extreme labor of love. Um, and it's a fascinating, fascinating read. And obviously the visuals too um, kind of helped to tell that story. And it was just so well done. So uh, great job with that. Thank one. you. Yeah, super fun. Lee, you wrote a story on a now local um, designer. He's an industrial designer. His name is Brad Asklon. Yeah. So I think... Um out here in the country, we don't really think about industrial design too much, you know, the commercial design, office design. Um, and Brad Ascalon uh, knows that, you know, I, we sat down at the Halyard and had a drink together and had this really great chat. And um, for those of you that haven't met him, he's he's been out here a few years now. Um, Brad is an industrial designer who started in the music industry and uh, he hated it. Um, it was his lifelong dream to be in the music industry, and then he realized, uh, what have I done? Um, and uh, when he was, you know, in his 20s, he decided to shift to um, design at the Pratt Institute. And uh, it turned out to be a calling. He has been designing for restoration hardware. He actually started with um, working with L'Oreal, which is really interesting to have, like, you know, this man who doesn't, you know, men don't know makeup too much and, or, uh, you know, um, women's products that much. And he started at L'Oreal and that really helped him kick off his career in, uh, in industrial design. And what, what I think is interesting is he used to call himself a reductivist. So like the, the work would be, you know, the work would be, um, office furniture that was, um, down to its bare essentials. So it didn't get in the way when you were sitting and working. And he's actually changed what his work is called to, he considers himself an essentialist, which I think is really interesting. And being on the North Fork has also inspired Brad to work on some uh, like beach furniture, some outdoor furniture, which uh, he wouldn't quite preview to me, but um, he's working on it. And um, he loves living out here with his wife and, uh, yeah, you know, if you've been to the Halyard, you may have um, encountered some of his uh, drinkware that he's created as well. Um, and he actually didn't know that they uh, were using his drinkware until he saw it on Instagram featured, I think, in a story we wrote. Yeah, I remember he told me that. It was very, very cool to hear him say that. And that must have been such a wow moment for him. Um, just all of a sudden, like, oh, I, th I think I created that and designed that glass. Um, yeah. It's pretty spectacular. Yeah, he has a really cool story, too. And I love that transformation, Lee, um, of, of his journey, really. 
Um, and I love how his design is so intentional. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure that every designer definitely takes that approach of, of intentional design, but it's really cool to see that here with uh, like office furniture, like that you probably wouldn't think of twice. Um, Brad thinks of all day long um, and it's pretty incredible and really, really beautiful. And um, Lee also, you did a great job with the story. This is a really nice look into uh, to Brad's to Brad's life and um, as, a, as, as an artist. Victoria, you have our cover story uh, for this magazine. This was a fun one. I know you got to visit this home a few times um, and had a great time with it. So let's chat about this incredible um, mid-century modern home. Yeah, so I took a tour of, um, the house is called The Bungalow, and it doesn't really look how it sounds. It's a really beautiful mid-century modern home in Mattatuck, um, and the house is owned by a couple that is from kind of like the world of design. Really a lot of cool antique furniture and details from the 60s and 70s. One thing that I thought was really cool is they have this glass floor-to-ceiling window set up, and most of the house, which is really nice because you can see the greenery outdoors and inside. In the living room, uh, the floor-to-ceiling windows are actually doors to kind of an outdoor living room area and a cocktail pool. And so it opens up the whole house when the doors are open. There's also this gyro fireplace, which rotates 360 degrees. So they can use the fireplace for the indoor living space and the outdoor uh, living space. And yeah, I just thought it was uh, really unique and cool. I'm obsessed with that fireplace, by the way. That whole house is gorgeous. It It feels almost like a travel diary. Like when I look at it, I feel like I can tell that they like pulled pieces from all different parts of their life together. And it's just so cool to see it all um, work so well. I mean, I I would never, ever be able to do that. There's no chance I can pick a piece from here and there and here and there. And then it just, it's so beautiful. And it really just feels like who they are. I feel like I got to know them by reading this story. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of their furniture actually comes like from their travels. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, a lot of it's inspired from uh, Palm Springs or is, is from Palm Springs. Um, I know Provincetown is featured there quite a bit, but also a lot of local furniture too. A lot of thrifted furniture as well. It's really incredible. Um, love that. And they are super, super nice humans too. So that always helps. <laughs> Tara, you wrote a story, um, and I know that when you and I were initially talking about this, we kind of envisioned it in one way, and then it came out very different um, from what our initial take was, but it feels more North Forky than ever. Yeah, it did. It, You know, I set out and I wanted to ask chefs on the North Fork, you know, what they have in their kitchens, what they can't live without, thinking that I would get end up with a list of, uh, you know... Uh, tools or gadgets um, or even ingredients that are just like staples for them. Um, Because I always think it's cool to to get inside um, not just a chef's kitchen at work, but, you know, their home kitchens. And after all, this is the home issue. So I think it was a good fit. But uh, as I started talking to some of the chefs for this story, um, their answers surprised me in in like the best way. So as I started uh, talking to some of these local chefs for the story, uh, which included Aki Goldberg, Will Horowitz, Lauren Lombardi, Ryan Barth Dwyer, and Yuki Mori. Uh, their answers really just surprised me in in the best way. They they each came up with something um, a little bit unexpected and uh, almost very simplistic. So uh, it, it could be something as simple as a cutting board. Uh, Ryan told me uh, a cutting board that he bought at like a TJ Maxx, you know, 15 years ago, and yeah. it's like stood the test of time. And really, like like if you look at it, there's maybe nothing special about it, but it's just that it's been with him for so long through apartments, through you know moves, and you know now out on the North Fork. And he's like, you know, I just think about how like 
he basically uses that tool for like every delicious meal that he creates, uh, you know, at home uh, after a long shift uh, in a restaurant, which is really cool. Um, and then some uh, some other people kind of took the direction of, of a piece that they treasure in their kitchens that's almost like a family heirloom. So Lauren Lombardi has her grandfather's wooden spoon. That's like ma- this massive thing. Um, you can tell it looks, it looks well-loved, well-used. Um, and she, you know, doesn't just display it in her kitchen. Um, she uses it, you know, she uses it uh, when they make their... Sunday sauce and and it's still part of their family tradition which I think is really really special even Aki Goldberg you know she she was telling me about uh, she was she cracked me up she's like I have this fork and it's like this two-pronged meat fork that she like doesn't just use for you know cutting up meats or whatever um she uses it for like everything in the kitchen she's like yeah if I need to grab a pickle like you know I want to put my fingers in the jar um she'll use it and it would actually belong to her her oma her grandmother um which is also you know just last through the years, through moves, international moves. Um, so I think that's really special. And um, as we get into the Thanksgiving season and we're thinking all about family traditions and, you know, cooking, obviously, cooking with our families, uh, it's kind of nice to think about the items maybe in our own kitchens that have, uh, you know, a little bit more meaning behind them. Yeah, that was really, really fun. You had called me and you were like, um, so I got a little bit different um, content than I thought I would. And I think you and I both were like, but this feels amazing at the same exact time. And it was that like sentimental, nostalgic feel to it is just so special and so fitting for all. Yes, this is our fall homes issue, but it is also um, the season of Thanksgiving um, and gatherings and, and togetherness. And, and so many of the elements in that story fit perfectly into that. So this was a really uh, fun read. And I loved what you got back from these different chefs. Yeah, thank you. I'm now I'm in Thanksgiving mode. I just I've been craving Thanksgiving dinner for uh, you know weeks now. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect timing. Um, it's also I'd say like cozy season, um, which I'm super excited for. And when I think of cozy season, I think of cuddling up and then like just enjoying a book with like a blanket. Uh, Lee, you wrote a list on some pretty cool uh, books to pick up. Yeah. So I also I love to get lost in a good book. I know it's a cliche, but it's true. Um, and honestly, like this is the season to sit by the fire and read. Um, so one thing I believe very strongly in is local book stores are so special and so nice and they're owned by people who love books. And, um, if you're going to buy any of these books that we're about to mention, I recommend going to Burton's in Greenport or the new, a book place boutique in Riverhead, which are both really lovely. Um, so these are all books with the North Fork theme, either written by a North Fork author or set in the North Fork. Um, just a few of them. Um, Orient by Christopher Ballin is a, uh, a tense thriller uh, about a murder in Orient, um, which is a very popular book. It's uh, been a bestseller. Some children's books, uh, Moon Glow by Peggy Dickerson and Cynthia Wells. So Peggy Dickerson was a Kutchog elementary school teacher who wrote this book, and it's educational, and it's um, it's really sweet. It's beautifully illustrated, it? too. Yeah. I love that book. Yeah, it's a great one. Um, the Curious Puffer by Ian Hunter and Claire Kennedy, another children's book. Now, they, they wrote... Uh, this really cute book about a puffer fish who goes on adventures in local waters. Um, and then if you're interested, there's Fire Me Up by Alicia Street, which is a romance novel set on the North Fork um, about a hunky uh, FDNY firefighter who um, finds a quiet school teacher in a North Fork village and falls in love. 
Uh, and there's other books on this list too. Um, there's, you know, cooking related books, wine related books. So, you know, hit up a local bookseller and shop local and, um, you know, get lost in a, in a nice read. I love that. And then the last piece we'll talk about in today's podcast is our map. Um, so I wrote the map. Um, I called it a fork full of pie. So tis a season for pie, right? I mean, who can resist pie in the North Fork? I feel like it's a very North Fork thing to go to a very specific place for a very specific thing. So I wouldn't, um, I mean, yes, you can go to any farm stand and get tons of different produce and, and it will be amazing. But I like to go to very certain places and, um, and, and choose my favorite thing there. And so basically what I did for this map is I, I decided, um, on a specific pie from each of these different spots. Uh, my very favorite pie in the North Fork, this might be like illegal to say on a podcast, but I'm going to do it anyway, is the caramel apple walnut pie from Bayview Market and Farms. It's uh, incredible pie it just tastes like fall it's so 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 good um and it was it's definitely um a must-have for the season um do you guys have any of your favorite picks of pie uh yeah mine is not on this map it cooperage Inn is on this map but um so i discovered this pie when i went to pick up um a pot pie from nofo pot pies which is at cooperage Inn. And they have a key lime pie that's unlike oh, any key so lime good. pie you've ever had. It sounds it's, really good. It's like a chiffon pie, though. It's it's a little different. Um, it's very, very fluffy and light. And um, I could just eat the whole pie in one sitting. <laughs> that's amazing. I'll have to try that one for sure. Tara, what about you? My, you know, got to have a Briamere pick on this list. And the blueberry cream pie from uh, Briamere is always going to be my favorite. Um, I'm a birthday pie gal. So uh, <laughs> even though my birthday's in the fall, uh, the blueberry cream pie is, is my go-to. Um, get the fresh blueberries on top. Very good. Got to get there early in the day for that one. You I do. Bet. Yes. Especially this time of year. Yeah. Their cream pies at Brymere are just top notch for sure. Yeah. Victoria, you're, you're slightly newer to the North Fork. Do you have any favorites? Yeah, for me, it's it's also going to be Brymere Farms. It's a classic. Um, I really like their apple crisp, but also their raspberry cream is really good, too. Awesome. Well, guys, this wraps us up for the magazine podcast. Thank you for doing this and talking through your awesome stories. Um, super excited for this magazine, and I know you all feel the same way. And readers, listeners, thank you so much for following us along on this journey. Um, we'll be back next week with a Things to Do podcast to talk about some of our favorite picks for the weekend. Take care. <laughs>